Thank you, guys. Thank you, T. I want to start with a question today, something that um, I want you to think with me about as we walk through today's talk, is how does what you do for a living or where you work matter to God? How does what you do to, to bring home a paycheck, to work whether you work in education or construction or retail or you drive a taxi or whatever you do, how does what you do to earn a living where you work matter to God? Now, I'll tell you, it does matter. Today I want to talk about how that matters. I'm going to ask you to do something with me, though, just uh, before we move on too much further. It's uh, open up 1 Corinthians 16. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, I'm going to be in the Purpose Driven Life series. We started last week talking about the Purpose Driven Work and Business Life. And we're going to land on a few different passages, but one of them is 1 Corinthians 16. But would you do me, uh, I'm going to do something I just felt prompted to do, and then John confirmed before. Would you bow your heads just for a minute? I want to pray. And here's what I want to do. I want to do two things this morning. Some of you are here, and that last song we talked about, the relentless love of God or how he, the reckless love of God, how he comes after us. Some of you, uh, you are right now in a place where you've been far from God. You've not been pursuing him. And you realize during that song that the Lord's been pursuing you, that he loves you that much that he's never given up on you. And in just a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that pursuit of God and to love him and to, and to say yes to him today, to begin your life as a Christ follower. We normally do this at the end, but it's okay. I'm going to mix it up today. The other thing I want to do, the second group of people I want to speak to is you're sitting here this morning, you're watching online, and you've got a child or children that are far from God, that they're the ones running. They're, they're, the, they're the, the, the one who left the 99, and they're out, and they're far from God right now. And I want to pray for you, and I'll pray for them as well. So bow your heads, let me pray. Father, first I want to begin by asking you to encourage those that are here today or watching online right now who have children that are far from you. And maybe something about that last song, maybe something about singing about your love has just uh, ripped their heart again today as they're thinking about their children who have rejected you so far. And so far, Lord, they've not decided to follow you and not given their hearts to you. And they may off, be off this morning, Lord, who knows? Maybe they're sleeping hungover from a night of partying. I, I don't know where they're at, but you know everything about everything. And I pray, Lord, two things. I pray that for the parents, the moms, the dads, the brothers, the sisters who are sitting here or watching online, and their hearts are broken for their children, for their friends, that you would right now encourage them, that you would remind them that you have never and you will never give up on those kids that you will continue to pursue them. You'll continue to go after them. You'll continue to show them that, that unbelievable, relentless, reckless love of God. And then, Lord, I pray for those kids or those brothers or sisters that are far from you right now, that in, even in this moment, wherever they're at, whatever they're doing, that right now you would just invade their room, invade their hearts, and remind them that you are alive, that you live, and that you love them, and that you will never give up on them. Keep your head bowed and eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as Christ follower. And something during that time of worship sparked a, 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 a longing, a hunger in your heart. Or maybe it's been growing for a while. And you know you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to surrender your life to him. I'm going to pray this simple prayer right now. And if you're watching online, you can do this right at home where you're at. Make this your prayer right now. Father God, I surrender my life to you. I, I get it. You sent Jesus. You, he came after me because I was far from you. And you sent Jesus to die for my sins, and, and he lives now for me. And so right here, right now, in this moment, I surrender my life to you. Right here, right now, I'm making the decision to become a Christ follower. God, I need you. There's a lot of things I still got to work through, but I know now that I'm not alone in this journey. And so here, now, I say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Yes, I want to be yours. Thank you for loving me. I choose in this moment to love you. 
Now, if that's you in your own way, just say, yep, God, that's me. That's my heart. And the Bible says that moment you do, you become his kid. Lord, wherever our hearts are at this morning, meet us there and change us. And let us leave this place changed today by you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for letting me do that this morning. For a time, uh, Laura and I lived in Boca Raton, Florida, about 50 miles north of Miami. And I worked for a place called Great Western. I'd actually worked for Great Western Bank in Southern California. And uh, I had been, gone to Bible school, been in ministry. Most of you know my story. Left ministry really angry at God and angry at the world and walked away from God and walked away from the church, went into banking. And uh, we moved from, from Southern California to South Florida where I went to work for Great Western again. And I was their uh, data processing, item processing manager. And uh, I hated my job. Not just a little bit. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you can relate. But I mean, I hated my job. I, I hated everything about it. And I, I have to confess to you, I wasn't really excited about my boss either. He was a jerk. And what made it worse was he was a Christian. At least he said he was a Christian. But he didn't act like a Christian, didn't live like a Christian. And he was a real lazy bum. I hated the guy. It was terrible. I felt bad about it. I really did. I'm, I'm confessing my sin. But um, I was struggling and wrestling through, and part of it was like, God, how long am I going to have to do this? I'd come back to the Lord, and I was ready years before <laughs> to go back into ministry. But sometimes the Lord takes us the long, slow path and crushes the pride out of us in the process. And I, you know, apparently God didn't think I was ready because I wasn't in ministry. I was in bacon. Well, every day at the end of uh, the uh, day, the checks, I was part of the, again, the item processing, anyhow, we, we had to take the checks up to the top of the bank and run them up a flagpole and a helicopter would fly in, use a hook, grab the checks and take them to Miami to the uh, processing center. And it was not my job to do that, but I love helicopters. The only part about my job I liked was getting to see the helicopter every day. And so uh, my staff would say, oh, I'll do that. I said, nope, nope, that's, I, I get to do that. So I'd take it upstairs every night, run it up the pole, and I'd have to wait. You have to make sure the checks don't get blown off or taken off. And, and they, he would come hover over it. So cool. You know, you know, my, you know, anyhow, he's hovering, getting the checks, and they go off. And this particular night, beautiful fall night, beautiful fall night in South Florida. And I'm standing on top of this building about 10 floors up, and I'm looking out. I can see the ocean. You kind of get the picture. And it's warm, and it's beautiful, and it's incredible. And I am really, really grumpy. I'm mad, I'm unhappy, and I start complaining to God. Now, do you ever complain to God? Maybe two of you do. I, I'm up there, and I'm just saying, God, this sucks. I don't want to be here. I don't like this. And there's nobody around. I'm 10 floors up, and so I just lost it. You've seen me lose it before. But, I mean, it was ugly. It was an ugly cry. I'm wailing, and I'm yelling at God, and I'm on top of this roof. And for, like, point two nanoseconds, I thought to myself, hmm, 10 floors. I probably wouldn't make it to the bottom. I did. I'm, 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 I'm that depressed, that discouraged, that frustrated, that angry, and I have this talk with God. And I'm wailing. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that complaining, moaning, groaning, complaining time, it was like the Lord just opened the heavens for a moment and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And that wasn't an audible voice. But I'm crying out, God, how long do I have to be here? How long before I can get back in ministry? And it was not one of my better moments. And the Holy Spirit spoke clearly to my heart. Be what I've called you to be right now, right here. Be what I have called you to be right now, right here. Now that is not what I wanted to hear from God. But I got it. And in fact, it was one of those moments where I realized this is something that I need to change. This is, this is from the Lord. You see, as a 30-something young man, I didn't understand that where I earned a living um, did not keep me from being who I was called to be. 
Didn't keep me from being a Christ follower. Didn't keep me from loving God with all my heart. Didn't keep me from loving people the way I could and the way I should. And that challenge from the Lord that night uh, changed me. It, it challenged me to be what I, a Christ follower, a Christian, right there at Great Western, and stop complaining. It changed my perspective. I stopped complaining, and I stopped hating my job. And it was like instant. I, I Sometimes process takes a time, some time. It's a process of development and, and growth. But in that moment, I came to this realization, nope, I need to change. And I began to see that God had a purpose and a plan for me right there at Great Western. Why do I tell that story? Well, because some of you, you love your job, and I'm happy for you. Some of you hate your job, and you relate an awful lot to what I just talked about. Some of you see uh, what you do as something that matters. Some of you have no idea why you're where you're at. And you endure Monday to Friday, and you live for the weekends. And it's a big deal that you, that you understand what I'm talking about today. So I want, you to, I want you to listen carefully. You know, if you think about it and you do the math, uh, most Americans will spend over one-third of their total waking hours at their place of employment. Over one-third of their waking hours. I did the math because I kind of get weird that way sometimes. And I started adding up. Well, if you work 40 hours a week and you get a couple you know, weeks off in a year, what would that work out to? That works out to 2,000 hours a year that you spend at your job. And then if you work the average length, you know, most people from 18 to average retirement, 67, 68, that's about 100,000 hours that you spend working. Now, some of you look really depressed right now. It's like, wow, I'm sorry. I didn't hang in there with me. But some of us, me included, you know, uh, I started working when I was 16. I mean, where I punched the clock. I actually started working as a third grader sh shining shoes at a barbershop every Saturday, for real. But I started working when I was 16 years of age, and I probably will never retire. I love what I do, so I'll work in some way until I die, I hope. And, and so for some of us, and if you work more than 40 hours a week, which would include me as well, you're going to pass that 100,000 hour mark early on. And here's the point in that. My point is to dial up some reality. If you are a Christ follower, now listen, if you're not a Christ follower yet, you're off the hook. What I'm going to talk about today doesn't apply to you yet. But I think it's only fair to let you know what it means to follow Jesus and what that looks like. So I am speaking mostly to Christians today. But if you're a Christ follower, and if you believe that God has a purpose for your life, and he does, and if you believe you're supposed to work and do your day-to-day your, your -day, uh, work with purpose, then, and you are, and it's a huge part of your life, then it is, then maybe, just maybe, it's not about what you do to earn a living as much as it is who you are, where you're at, and who you're affecting for the kingdom of God. Maybe it's not about what you do just about what you do, to make a check, to earn a living. But maybe it's about who you are, where you're at, and who you are affecting and influencing for the kingdom of God. Maybe God's got you where he's got you for a reason. Here's the big idea, the backside of your outline. God has a plan and a purpose for you in your business or where you work. I absolutely believe that. That God has a plan and a purpose for you in your business or where you work. I don't care what you do now. I don't care whether you like what you do now. I'm here to tell you today, here's reality. God has a plan and a purpose for you right where you are at. And by the way, so you think, well, I'm retired. God still has a plan and a purpose for your life too. And I'm going to share at the end of the little, little talk with a friend of mine, and you're going to hear how God is using him. But I want you to shift in your thinking today, and I want you to see that everything you do matters to God. Listen carefully. Everything. Everything you do matters to God, including what you do for a living. Here's a problem with some of us, and I've been there, I would own this as well, is that we tend to compartmentalize our lives. We have our God part, 
the part where we say, well, I show up for church and, and you know, I'm, I'm maybe I'm involved in a rooted group or a life group or connect group. Maybe I serve and, and, and with the kids or serve a connection team or serve security team or, or whatever. And we, we tend to see that, yeah, I have this God part of my life. In fact, even, I even give some money to God once in a while. And we compartmentalize. We have, that's my God thing, my God part. And then we have the rest of our life. Well, yeah, but i got to live Monday through Saturday, and I've got a job, and I've got family, and I've got hobbies. And here's what we tend to do, and it's not okay, by the way. We tend to compartmentalize our life. We tend to treat God and his kingdom life as a segment or part of our life instead of the whole. Most of you have apps on your phone. Most apps are free. And then what do they try and sell you? Add-ons. They try and get you to get this and get that to improve the app or what have you. Here's the deal. God is not an add-on to your life app. That's not the plan. That's never been God's plan. Last week, if you missed last week, go online and listen to it. But we talked last week about how God is to be the very center. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every part of your life is to be wrapped up and centered around him, including what you do. In the 16th chapter, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, where I had you turn, the Apostle Paul makes some personal request and give some final greetings in this chapter. And sometimes I will admit when I get to the end of the book, the end of a chapter, uh, I'm just kind of glazing through it, especially when I realize he's wrapping it up. But there are a couple of verses, the two I had you turn to and uh, look at with me, verse 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 14, two verses where Paul summarizes powerfully pretty much everything he said in the book of 1 Corinthians. Look at it with me, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Paul says, be on your guard Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Paul says, be on your guard. Why? Because life isn't a cruise ship. It's a, it's a battleship. I've talked about that many times. Life is hard. And Paul says, be on your guard. You've got an enemy, so be aware of that. It says, stand firm in the faith and stay the course. Don't be easily distracted and, and drawn off course by what God has for you. He said, be courageous and strong. Why would he say that? And it's mentioned many times, Old and New Testament. Why are we told to be courageous, cor courageous and strong? Because life is filled with things that scare that crap out of us. Because there are times when things happen, we don't see it happen, we didn't expect it to happen. Where did that come from? And Paul says, no matter what, remember life won't always be easy, but be strong, be courageous, keep going. But verse 14, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, 4 amazing words, and if we just did this, it would change everything. He said, do everything in love. Above all, do everything in love. More than anything else, do everything you do in love. And guess what everything includes? <laughs> everything, including your work or your business experience. In 40 years of teaching as a pastor, uh, I have never taught on this subject before, and I'm not sure why. But I'm excited about this today because I feel like God's been showing me something that I want him to show you, that we're to live for the glory of God. What does that mean? We live to make God the hero. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, earlier in the same book. If you want to flip back a few pages. But 1 Corinthians 10, 31, here's what Paul says. It says, live your life in a way that glorifies and honors God. Live your life in a way that glorifies and honors God. Now, most of us get what honor means. To honor is to esteem or to value. Glory, we go, what is glory? To glorify God, what does that mean? It's kind of a religious term. It means that where we make God the hero, where everything we do is about him, centered and focused on him, where he is all in all, and we make, we're fans of his. We do it all, for, not for our personal glory, but for his. In other words, whatever you do, we're to do for God. 
for his glory, for his honor, for his kingdom and his purposes. Whatever you do, that's the call to us as Christ followers. Now, how many of you think that's a big challenge? Every, every hand should be up right now. It's a huge challenge. It's not an easy thing to do. My problem at first when I worked for Great Western Savings is, again, I had compartmentalized my life, and I did not include God in what I did 50 hours a week. I didn't under, understand that what I did as a manager working for a bank provided me an opportunity to be like Jesus, to love God, to love people, to love God with all my heart, and to love people, and to advance the kingdom purposes the purposes of the kingdom of God right where I was. Pastor Rick Warren, and I mentioned his book last week in his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, which over 30 million copies, and it's been the, the uh, theme or the, the motivating theme for this series. He makes this radical statement, and it's number one in your outline if you're taking notes. Number one, Rick Warren says, the pursuit of happiness is not what life is all about. What? What? The pursuit of happiness is not what life is all about. We are to live for the glory of God. We are to live for the glory of the Lord. To say that the pursuit of happiness is not what life is all about sounds almost un-American, doesn't it? I mean, I know the Bill of Rights, and we think, wait, that's not what I've been taught since I was a little kid. But Rick's point and my point is simply this. As Christ's followers, read the book. Read the New Testament. Read the words of Jesus. And you cannot argue with this. As Christ's followers, everything about everything in your life and mine is not about me. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. Jesus taught about the kingdom over and over again. It's about the kingdom. And it's about living for him and his purposes on the earth. Now I know, believe me, I know we live in a me-centered, self-centered, narcissistic culture where we are told directly or indirectly all the time. We're told that you are the center of everything. And part of the reason why we hear that is because we like to hear that. Don't we? We like to hear that, you know, if it feels good, do it. If it makes me happy, great. If it's what I want, great. If it's not what somebody else wants, who cares? Because I'm the center of my universe. Do whatever you want. Take whatever you want. Take care of you because you're number one. The problem with that mentality is twofold. One is it's not biblical, and two is it doesn't work. It doesn't lead to true and lasting joy. Look at anybody around you. We won't talk about you, but let's talk about others. Look at anybody around you, someone who lives a selfish, self-centered life, and tell me if you really think they're living a joy-filled life. It doesn't bring lasting satisfaction, and it doesn't give your life a sense of higher purpose. When you make it all about you, that's why Jesus said, die. Unless a seed dies, it falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it does, then then there's the fruitfulness and the life and all that God has for us. Paul, again, wrote this uh, in Romans 11.36. He said, everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Paul got this. He taught it frequently. Romans 11.36, everything comes from God exists by his power and is intended, listen, intended for his glory, everything. And by the way, God doesn't want us to live for his glory because he's a megalomaniac. I had people, I've had conversations before, people, it seems like God's really, he's kind of narcissistic. You know, why is it all about him? Why is, it, why is he the sinner? Well, here's the answer to that, and I want you to get it. I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. We live best when we love him most. You want to live the life God has destined you to live. You want to live a life where you experience true joy and satisfaction, where you know the peace of God that passes all understanding, where you experience what it really means to be the person God created you to be. You live best when you love him most. 
You live best when you make it all about him and not all about you. You and I are to live for the creator and his purposes, and that needs to be the very center of our lives. That's what Jesus taught. Seek first, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis once wrote, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him and the life he provides. That's so good. In commanding us to glorify God, he's inviting us to enjoy him and the life he provides. Living for the, the life, the life for the glory of God, meaning means working and doing your business, whatever that is, with a higher calling and a higher purpose. It's not just about earning a paycheck. It's about doing something greater than you could even imagine. And that's where we find joy. And God does want you to live in joy. He really does. And the path to lasting joy and satisfaction is found when you and I live our entire lives for his glory, where absolutely everything we do is for him and about him. To live a purpose-driven life as a purpose-driven Christian means that ultimately we live for Christ and his glory, and that includes what you do from nine to five, Monday through Friday. It includes all of your life. So practically speaking, you know how I like to get practical. What are, what are a few things? Let me give you a couple things that that looks like. To begin with, that means you need to be the best worker where you work. You need to be the best worker because you work for the best reason, for the glory of God. There should never be a time when someone uses the, the, the phrase lousy or lazy worker and Christian in the same sentence. This shouldn't be the way. You need to be the very best person where you work. Why? Because you're working for the very, very best reason, for the glory of God. And second thing you need to know is you need to model diligence, faithfulness, and even, wait for it, a good attitude. You knew I was going to meddle a little bit, didn't you? You got to work with a good attitude. Why? Because you are working for the Lord, not working for the company. You're not working for someone else. The Bible says you're working ultimately for Jesus. Colossians 3, let me read it to you. Colossians 3, 22 and 23. Jot it down. It's in your outline, I think, but I want you to write this down because some of you need to go back to this because you're not going to believe me. You need to think about this for a while. Colossians 3, 22 and 23. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation, which I love for devotions. But here's what Paul says. Let every employee listen well and follow the instructions of their employer, not just when their employers are watching, not in pretense, but faithful in all things. Here it is, for we are to live our lives with pure hearts and in the constant awe and wonder of our Lord God. Verse 23, put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you were doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. Listen carefully to that verse 23 again. Put your heart and soul into every activity. And in the context here, he's talking about work. You do as though you were doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. We do what we do with an understanding that I am to be like Jesus, a Christ follower, an example of him, bringing glory to him, living and working on purpose and the best of the best, doing the very best I can because I'm not doing my work for Microsoft. I'm not doing my work for Fred Meyer. I'm working for the Lord. All right, let's move on. Number two, here's the second thing. Second thing I want you to hear today is God wants to bless you to be a blessing. I truly believe this, and I'm going to unpack this, but God wants to bless you to be a blessing. He wants to profit you so that you can solve problems. In other words, I'll admit it more directly, God doesn't just want to raise the quality of your living, but the quantity of your giving. God does not just want to raise the quality of your living, but the quantity of your giving. Whether you are an employee or you're a business owner, God's goal is to make you a blessing to others. That's always been his plan. 
He uses us, he uses you, he uses us as lights and as a gifts and a blessing to a watching world. Now, I'm going to address something pretty quickly here. There are some who teach what's commonly referred to as the prosperity doctrine. And I will be honest with you, I've had some tension with this for a long time. And, and I still do. But I'm going to explain a couple of things that I want you to hear. Essentially, those who advocate for the prosperity doctrine believe this. They believe that the Old Testament promises, especially the Abrahamic promises, the promises of God made to Abraham, apply to us because in the New Covenant, the, the New Testament says we are now all children of Abraham. And so they would say that all the promises given to Abraham are promises given to us as Christ followers. Unfortunately, they tend to ignore that Jesus was poor. He was. That Jesus said in Luke 9 that the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And so they tend to not identify the fact that, well, blessing doesn't just mean money. And that blessing comes relationally, comes in our relationship with God. Blessing comes as we are in a community of faith that loves one another. Blessing doesn't just mean dollar signs. However, I will say this. I no longer argue with the proponents of the prosperity doctrine. I simply ask them one question. Why? Why does God want to bless us? Okay, if God's promises and blessings include money and material blessings, possessions, then I, and I won't always, sometimes that's true, then why? Why does God want to bless us? And I often get an, an, an interesting look from them when I ask that question. Because they'll, or they'll say, well, because God wants us to be happy. Or God wants to bless us just to bless us. And I go, no, that's not actually the answer. The true answer is the same answer God gave to Abraham, since you like to quote Abrahamic promises. Genesis 12, 2. You find the promises to, to Abraham in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 2 says this. God says to Abe, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to bless the socks off you. And I will make your name great. And here it is, the last part of Genesis 12, 2. And you will be a blessing. Why did God bless Abraham? Just to make Abraham fat, rich, and happy? Nope so that he would be a blessing. So that A would be a blessing to all nations and all peoples. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Some of you are gonna be quite relieved by this. Some of you may be a little frustrated. But there's nothing wrong or evil about living in a nice house or driving a nice car. Do, do not go out into the parking lot today and be ashamed of whatever you get into to drive away. That's not my point here. And there's nothing wrong with upward mobility if you understand that it's not just for you. I wish I had more time and I don't, but there's so many passages that make this so clear in the New Testament. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you relationally. That's first and foremost. And some of you, he will bless with great resources or with resources, but it's not just about you. He's blessed you to be a blessing. That's the heart of God. God has blessed you to be a blessing. If you own a business, God does want you to make a profit. He doesn't want you to go bankrupt. He doesn't want you to belly up. If you own a business, good news, God wants you to profit. But the profit he wants to give you is so that you can help solve kingdom problems. If you work and you have a job and you make money, God wants you to be able to take care of your family and take care of your needs. But God wants you to be a blessing to others. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. And again, that's a prosperity doctrine favorite verse. God is able to bless you abundantly so you have all that you need all the time. And I love that passage. Again, how you define bless is part of my tension. But here's the point. And they miss this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, last part of the verse says, having all that you need so that you will abound in every good work. 
God does want to bless you. I, I don't argue with that. Why? So that you can be a blessing to others. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to start wrapping this up. But let me tell you a little story. I was in Botswana, as most of you know. My last trip, I did a business seminar. We were trying to reach into the business community. Blah, blah, blah. I don't have time to tell you much about that. But I was one of two speakers uh, to a group of, of businessmen and women in Botswana. And I was excited about this. And I felt very good about what I, the Lord gave me to share with them and what, a, what, a, what a, uh, a privilege it was to speak to them. I knew that there was another speaker. I had not met this man. His name was Enoch, Apostle Enoch. Pastors, a large church in Botswana, a very mega church of thousands of people. And I had heard about him. I didn't, had never met him. Uh, when I heard that he was going to be the other teacher at this business seminar, I did a little research. I went on the internets, and I started looking into him a little bit. I found out, oh, this is a word of faith guy, prosperity guy. I don't know how this is going to work because I got problems. You know, I was a little concerned. He got there early. We met, and I, I, I immediately had a connection with Enoch. Loved him, saw the genuineness of his heart, and the Lord just bonded us together. It was just one of those things. I mean, boom, it, it was cool. It happened. And I did my thing, did my teaching, and felt like the Lord spoke through me. It was great. And then I'm thinking, boy, what's this going to be like? What's old Enoch going to get up there and have to say? And he got up there. And that little phrase that I use, God prophets you to solve problems, is from Enoch. Rip that off completely from him. And I'm standing there listening to this word of faith guy, this prosperity guy, this hyper-Pentecostal guy, stand there and tell a bunch of business people, listen, if God is blessing you, then he has blessed you to be a blessing. If God is profiting you so that you can solve kingdom problems and just don't go out and keep getting bigger houses and bigger and better cars and more stuff, understand that God does want to bless you, but he wants to do so so that you will be a blessing. My jaw just dropped. I'm like, I want to like... That's awesome, dude. And I told him afterwards, I said, I, I have never heard... A guy like, I'm trying to say, like you, ever say that before. And it was so good. He gets something that I don't want you to get. And by the way, some of you think you're off the hook. Whew. Man, I drive a 23-year-old car. <laughs> Mine's out back, seriously. I, I Buick. And you're like, oh, man, I'm off the hook. Praise the Lord, I don't have blessing. <laughs> if you live in America, listen, you're blessed. And I'm, I'm not going political here. I'm just saying, I've been all over the world. The average worker in Haberone, Botswana, makes $300 a month. A month. And they, they, they have none of the amenities and the niceties and the things we tend to take for granted. Now, some have been exceptionally blessed. Some have a lot more resources than others. People say, why does that happen? How come I, I, I tithe? I, I serve Jesus. How come I don't get millions? I don't know. There's my profound biblical answer. I don't know. I don't know why some people seem to get more and others don't. I don't know. But what I do know this is no matter where you're at on the socioeconomic scale, no matter where, listen carefully, no matter where you are at, the principle still holds too. God wants you to live in a way that brings glory to him. So if you're poor, then bring the best glory to God as a poor person you possibly can. And whatever you can, God still says, would, would you be generous? Would you give? Will you trust me and live in a way? I love it when I hear stories of people who are just dirt dog poor and they have nothing. And you would say they live from paycheck to paycheck and yet God speaks to them and they obey him and they say, okay, Lord, I will give. I will bless. I will be a blessing. And you think, remember the story. I do not have time. Ah! The story of the widow's two mites, the little two pennies. 
She said she put in more than everybody else. Why? Because she gave all that she had. I could give you hundreds of examples, Old and New Testament, where Jesus says it's not about writing a big check. It's about having a big heart. Now, some of you have been blessed. Some of you have been given great resource. And I want you to hear, no matter where you're at on the socioeconomic scale, God has blessed you to be a blessing. God has profited you to help solve kingdom problems. And along those lines, I'm going to take the last five minutes, and I'm spot on with time right now. I ran through that pretty quickly, but thank you for being patient with me. I'm going to invite my friend John Batista to come up. Uh, John, welcome John up. John and I have known each other. We go back to Life Center for a long time. He had hair and mine was black when we first met. Uh, so that's how long we've known each other. Uh, John's been at East Point from the very beginning. Been on our board for a long time. East Point's board. Love him. He's a good friend, accountability partner. Love this guy. And he was telling me something when we had coffee, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, that he's up to right now. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me a little bit about what started Union Gospel Mission. Well, <laughs> in a nutshell, what we've done is start a cycling group for the uh, participants in the UGM program. So they're part of their recovery program, and UGM is one of the most successful recovery programs mm -hmm. in the country at about a 70% success rate. Uh, but the participants are in that program about 50 hours a week. And so they don't have a lot of time for fun. It's not built into the structure. So it's through volunteers of doing things like starting cycling clubs where the men get out and are able to do things in the community outside of program. Yeah. Well, tell me how God gave you a heart for this and a passion for this, because I love this story, this part of the story. Um, we had supported UGM for a long time, we meaning my wife and I, Teresa. Uh, and Teresa actually rolled up her sleeves and got involved with Ann Ogden Hall, but I had never done that. With Rooted, uh, rooted? Rooted. 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 Yeah, we love Rooted around here. Has anybody heard yes, of Rooted? rooted. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was through Rooted that I was able to roll up my sleeves and go just do something simple like serve a meal. As a result of serving that meal, God just moved on my heart to want to be connected more deeply with these men. So that's where the passion came from. You told me you read something about something happened in New York. Yeah, and... yeah. It was, you know how God does surprises you. I was reading in the Wall Street Journal of all places uh, an article about this running club in New York City that started to invite some of the homeless population to run with them. It's now become a national movement called Back on Your Feet. And uh, I sent that to Dave Wall, who's our contact at UGM for Rooted. And I said, it would be cool to do. You could even do it with bikes. And uh, immediately emailed me back and said, we got bikes. <laughs> yeah. And he said, and you're a cyclist. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. And so, I mean, God couldn't have been more clear yeah. that this show, was an opportunity. Nick, show the picture. I don't know if we showed that yet. This is the picture of John with some of the guys. Isn't that cool? Those are all guys that are part of the program there. And these are the part of the Saturday morning group, right, that you've been riding with? Yeah. Yeah. Friday mornings. Friday mornings. Yes. Yeah. And uh, one of the gentlemen up there um, shared with us the first day we were riding, they just start opening up on these rides. And uh, he said, you know, I found out today I have a daughter and a granddaughter that I never knew existed. Mm. Just sharing that with us. Yeah. And they just don't have a lot of opportunity to connect outside of the UGM community. And they long for it. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. I'm so proud of you. So, that's so cool. Listen, you said they had bikes. Now, I know that they had <laughs> bikes. Yes. But 
tell me what you're doing right now, how we can support you, what we can do to help. Uh, well, I started with the bike shops. They donated all the, donated all the helmets, water bottles, tubes for all the tires that were flat. Go ahead and mention who did this. Wheel Sport yeah. and uh, North Division Bike Shop yeah, that's came great. alongside of it. Was, it was, yeah. yeah, very cool. About $300 worth of, of stuff to get us started and have offered some more support. Um, but what we really need are bikes. The bikes that we have are just about unusable. <laughs> Uh, the one gentleman up there is working, partnering with me. We spent a day and a half trying to cobble together four bikes. That's what we were able to do. But almost every time we go, we have to do some work on them because they're just, they're not good bikes. Uh, so bikes are a big thing. And Wheelsport has a recyclery, uh, their original shop, they've turned into a used bike shop and are willing to work with us. Uh, but if you have a bike, a decent adult bike, uh, or you're just God's moving on your heart to give something, we will put that money directly, all of it directly towards purchasing new equipment. If I put up John's email address with you guys, this is John's email, write it down. And some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, well, I'd love to help, what can I do? 20, 20 bucks would help. Because all the money that you give, uh, you can give it through East Point, and just if you write a check, you do it online, go to the other box and put in there, UGM, uh, bikes, and we'll make sure that it gets to John, and all of it's going to go to buy bikes for these guys. Some of you, you've been, you're, you've been given a lot, and you can buy bikes, what, four or five hundred bucks, six hundred yeah. bucks? Yeah, good. You can buy a bike. Yeah. Some of you can buy more than one bike. Your business can do it. Go to your, go to your boss, go to your, where you work, say, hey, we heard about this thing at UGM, and, and uh, they need bikes. Can our company buy a bike? Sponsor Companies love to do this nowadays. It's a thing. So would you go? Contact John. John will be down front afterwards. Yes. Come see John. We'll but here. let's get behind this and help make a difference as a bringing glory to God. Let's go for right. John. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. I wanted John to share that. When we were having coffee, I got excited because I knew where I was going today. And I thought, hey, John's retired. And he's a guy that's still actively involved. And I can tell you, he's, all, he's got skin in the game. Not only time, but money as well. And I want you to see that no matter what you do, God has given you an opportunity to be a blessing to others. And this is just one. One example of the way that you can help make a difference. How we at East Point, through what God's doing here, can make a difference. God wants you to live for his glory no matter where you're at no matter what you do. I don't care if you're driving nails or hanging rock all day. God wants you to do that for his glory. He wants you to be him in that place with the people you work with, the people you interact with, and he wants you to be a blessing so that you can bless others.